welcome to week one of the Upcycling with Deb webinar. Let's get started. You can't start cashing in on your clutter until you clear it first. So the first week, it's important to focus on starting your decluttering efforts. And then next week, we'll start to look at what you're going to be selling, how you can sell it, and get that ball rolling. But to before we get there, before we introduce even the idea of selling, which for some people might be totally new, we have to focus on your space and getting it to a point where you feel like you've um, curated a few items, collected a few items that you can actually post online. So the first step is to start to declutter your space, and I'm going to help you out with that. As you log into the class this week, you might have noticed that there was an adorable little chubby baby to help welcome you to the week one materials. That was me sitting in a rocking chair in my Nana's living room. And the week one theme is Nana Knows Best. We learn a lot about our space and how we want to do our housekeeping and um, our clutter tolerance from the people who were around us growing up. And my mom is amazing at keeping a very clean and organized space. And she passed that on to me. Um, she always used to call me the organized child. And I got a lot of satisfaction from cleaning my room and calling my mom in to kind of examine my efforts. And she always was right there to give me praise and, and say what a good job I did. And well, you're just the organized child. I could have named this week's course material after my mother, um, but since she's probably a little shy, I figured I would focus more on my Nana's rules, which were maybe a little bit more strict than my mom's rules growing up for keeping a clutter-free space. My mom is a lot more easygoing. <laughs> so let's strive for Nana's rules and meet somewhere in the middle. I grew up in smaller living spaces. I live in a smaller living space right now. I think you learn how to keep your environment neat because a smaller space feels cluttered a lot faster than a larger space. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're always decluttered or you have less clutter in a smaller space, but it does mean that you're sometimes better at hiding it. So I think that goes a long way in creating an aesthetic for your space so that you don't have a ton of things and you know that you can only take in a certain amount of items. So the rules for my Nana. Again, I'm just basically summarizing her philosophy. She never wrote these rules down. She never said these rules. It's basically three rules that I happen to notice that she loosely followed when I was growing up. Number one, the living room is sacred. So whenever you'd go over to my Nana's house, she had a beautiful ranch home and you could walk into any room of the house and it was always very neat and tidy the living room was like untouchable. It had knickknacks and things beautifully arranged and very stylish for the day and then a couch that you don't really sit on. And um, you kind of walk through the living room to get to other areas of the house, but you don't stay there for long. And I never really understood that growing up because it wasn't a huge house that she had. So in my mind, I thought, gee, why wouldn't she hang out in this particular room or put the TV in the biggest room of the house? 
And now as an adult, I realize one of the reasons why she might have decided to have a living room or a room that was somewhat off limits. And I don't have the luxury of that in my house because I don't have a, a huge house at the moment, but I can understand and I, I implement this in a certain way. In our living room, we don't have any toys. It's a space where we can relax. It is for the most part decluttered. It does get messy. The kids do jump on the furniture, build forts with the pillows on the couch, etc. But within about three minutes, I can restore full order to my living room. So if you're going to pop by, if you pay me the courtesy of a text, the house will maybe be in a shambles in other rooms and other areas, but the living room, I can restore order pretty quickly. And now I realize why my Nana had that space because I feel like it's important for you, one, to have the ability to receive company on a moment's notice, if that's what you'd like, um, if that's important to you. But that's looking at it as a, from a standpoint of how it benefits other people. Maybe other people come into your space and judge you and say, oh, good, your house is nice and neat. Wow, couldn't catch her off guard. But the the second reason why it's important for me to have my living room is, is somewhat of a sacred space is because I have found that I'm really affected by the clutter and the noise, the environmental noise around me. I'm very sensitive to it. And as I get older, I recognize that. I think it's really important to have one room that I can say, ah, I can go in this room and I can feel like it's decluttered and it's in a good space. I am able to enjoy a cup of coffee if I want, or sit down, or maybe watch 20 minutes of TV if I want to, and not feel like I'm looking around at all this stuff. When Ray and I watch TV at night, we don't have toys cluttering the view between the couch and the TV. It's very important that our visual space is clear so that we can feel relaxed. That's a great way to keep my sanity in many ways as a parent. So making sure that you have one room that's kind of a sanctuary for you that you can keep neat. It could be your bedroom. It could be your mudroom. It could be your kitchen. It could be your kitchen counters. Something where you can look at it and feel visual peace by looking at it and saying, this is my foothold in a clutter-free world. Number two, with my Nana, every time you would visit my Nana, she was always trying to give back to us or share with us. If I wanted to take something from her house, I would ask her, she'd say, sure, you can take that. So she was always letting us leave her space with something. And now I feel like I understand why. I think I'm turning into my Nana because now I have that living room as my safe space for decluttering. And also when people visit me, I try to give them stuff, whether it's food from the meal. Oh, we ordered too much extra pizza. Here, take some slices, freeze it, keep it, eat it, enjoy it tomorrow. Or if we have extra dessert, take an extra piece of cake, enjoy it during TV time tonight. Or even things, hey, um, to a friend, you know, I bought this shampoo or this hair product. It doesn't work on my kind of hair. Can you use it? I, I'm always trying to be mindful of a giveaway pile. What can I give to the person who is visiting or coming into my space? So beware, when you visit me, you might be leaving not empty-handed. Number three, 
a rule that my Nana kind of followed for keeping her space free of clutter is the idea of the minimalist toys. I have found that when I discard a lot of my kids' toys after they've outgrown them or they just don't have any use for them or maybe they just never connected with them, I bring them out of the space and I try to curate their toy collection. And as I'm looking in the big toy closet, instead of everything being stuffed in there, it becomes thinner and more accessible. So the kids are able to walk up to the game area and select a game without 20 games falling on top of them. So it makes it a more enjoyable experience for them to approach that space and pull out a game that they might like to play rather than having that one game hidden practically by 10 games that really don't mean anything to them. They're more likely to play with the toys, believe it or not, when they have less toys in their visual space. My Nana didn't really have a lot of toys for kids to play with. It was kind of like BYOT, bring your own toys. And she had a big backyard. Uh, my cousin and I would play on the swing in the backyard. And um, we used to use Salada tea bag papers. They used to have tea bag thing with a little fortune or something. And, and my Nana would save those and we'd use those as the train tickets. I mean, these were not toys, but we used our imaginations and we had a great time doing it. And I have wonderful positive memories of that. She had, I think, one or two board games, uh, Parcheesi, Pachisi, as we say here in the Boston area. And that's what we played. And it took two hours to get to her house. And we looked forward to playing the game Parcheesi. And we would play that with each other. We'd set it up. That was just part of our routine. She didn't have a thousand toys for us to play with, but she did have those couple of things that we look forward to. I think that it's important for you to really curate your kid's toy collection. And just if they're not into a particular toy, Put it in a place where it's out of sight. And if they haven't asked for it in six months, put it in the attic, put it in a place in the basement, put it in your garage. If they're not asking for that particular toy, then you can put it in a donate pile or try to give it to a friend. The living room is kind of off limits. Give stuff away to visitors who come to your house and have a minimalist approach with the toy selection for your kids. So I'm going to add to my Nana's rules that it's important to have the right tools or resources to support your cleaning and purging efforts throughout the year. Here are a couple of tools that I use. I'll feature them on the video version of this lecture, and I'll also be sure to include links to them within the course week module. So this is a vacuum attachment that you may have seen on TV. Ray and I love as seen on TV things. And you can find this on Amazon. And it's got these little micro tubes. I guess they call them, they're not really micro, but they're just small. This is just an attachment that goes on the hose attachment for your vacuum. And typically it's universal. And I love using this for a number of reasons. It's billed as a computer keyboard cleaner but I take this to my kids' 
um, toy bins and just stick the whole vacuum cleaner hose in and move it around and I get the little particles that drop and the dust. This is really important when your kids have allergies like mine tend to have. I just use this in my son's toy bins with all his uh, little army characters and so forth. And I just kind of dug around because there's just dust that settles in it. And these are small enough that they won't actually pick up the toys, but they do a great job of getting just that dust and dirt that settles into those bins. Or um, my daughter has her doll collections and her dollhouse and so forth. But I have found that when I stick this in the toy bin, it is very effective in removing that dirt or the dust that settles. So that's really good. I also use it for my blinds or my, uh, I have Roman shades. So if you were to put a vacuum attachment against that, it would just pull the fabric right off the, the backing um, of the, the blinds. But these are a lot more gentle and it's a great way to dust your shades. The other tool that I'll show here on the video version of the lecture, and also I will show links to it um, through the course module page. This is called the Lint Lizard. So I've had this thing for oh, years and I, I got it because, you know, they used fear-based marketing so that, you know, you, you think about the dryer fires that happen each year and you stick this in your lint trap of your dryer and hopefully you get up all the lint. I think I've used it a couple of times for the purpose in which it was intended, the lint lizard. What I really use this thing for is I put it on my shop vac and it is amazing for detailing the car. And the nozzle of the shop vac is way too big to get under the seats or um, in the nooks and crannies of the car. But the edge of the lint lizard is great because it can go in between the seats. It can go get all those goldfish crackers, whatever else falls, the pretzels, the cr crumblies, the salt, the sand, anything that gets into the crevices of the car, this thing kind of sneaks around. So um, they were thinking of it going into the dryer vent and I'm thinking of it going all around the car. So that this has been like a game changer as far as cleaning the car. And for me, I love detailing my car. It's a way to practice gratitude. I enjoy my car. I love my, I have a sports car. I have an SUV um, and I really love to vacuum it. And I think the whole time I'm vacuuming, thank you, thank you, thank you for this beautiful car. I love to take care of my things. And, and this is how I'm, you know, showing thanks that I have a working two sets of wheels. So um, those two items are my physical tools that I use to help stay clean and decluttered. Another tool or resource is having a cleaning person. This is something that I mentioned in the book. A cleaning person or cleaning service is invaluable in your purging efforts. It doesn't necessarily reduce the amount of time I spend on household chores, but it changes the content of how I spend my time. So instead of scrubbing the tub or vacuuming, instead, my cleaning person focuses on that and I do other things that I cannot outsource. So I'm able to spend the time that she's here cleaning. I take that two hours and I go through the seasonal clothing changeover or I do purging or I do photo organization. She has been a real partner in grime 
to me because um, she helps me focus on things that I really need to do in a more reflective way and that, that I need to get done on my to-do list that perhaps I can't ask someone else to do. So I would really encourage you, and that's part of some of the homework coming up, is to ask around your friends, your friends who have very neat houses, I'm going to stake money on it, that they probably have some help in that department, that they probably have some professional assistance. Um, and another benefit of having a cleaning person is that you keep it neater in between cleanings. So you know if the person's coming, you're not really going to have like, most people aren't going to have like a totally sloppy house. You tidy things up. And then when the cleaning person gets here, they use their limited amount of time to really do the scrubbing. So you go through before they get here and you kind of restore order to your house and then they go through and clean the house. So that's a trick to keeping the house in order is having that deadline, having that person knowing that they're going to show up here and they have to vacuum. So you can't leave Legos all over the floor because they'll vacuum them up. So it's important to have that every two weeks check-in to make sure, okay, what's kind of crept into my space? What can I get rid of before the cleaning person gets here? In fact, this happened to me just the other day. My cleaning person was scheduled to arrive and I looked at the counters and I just, I don't know how it happened, but I use a lot of the things that are on the counters on a regular basis. So it's items that are in rotation. Nothing there is getting dusty. Um, I use some plastic cups for my daughter. I use certain um, mixes for my smoothies. So in my mind, these were things that were being readily accessible. Well, I had about a 45 minute window where the kids were playing outside and I was looking at the counters starting to kind of tidy and put things back. And I thought, you know what, what if I go a step further and look in my cabinets and see, since I'm trying to do the, uh, the 21 day pledge to purge myself, as you do it, I'm following along. What can I take out of my, ca my cabinets to free up space in my cabinets where it's still right there, still totally accessible, but just neatly hidden behind a cabinet. So I was able to move my smoothie mixes into the cabinet and some of the teas that I use every day because I cleared out some things that maybe had expired or things that the kids we tried and they're just not interested in eating, things that we just don't need in the cabinet anymore. And I was shocked. I was able to free up almost an entire shelf in the, in the cabinet. So I moved some of the things from the counter to the cabinet. Again, I'm not just hiding the mess. I use these things, but I took the extra step of getting it out of my visual space. And I woke up this morning and prepared the lunches for the kids. And I just, I felt so good. I stopped and I admired my work. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but it's the little things. So even if you don't have a whole day to purge, I encourage you to find creative ways to do your homework this week. Your homework for this week, and it will be in future weeks, is each day, I want you to think about that 21-day pledge to purge. And this is within the course materials for the module, um, and this is within the overview module. But purge daily with intention. Don't just throw things away. Find things that maybe you're going a little outside your comfort zone. Think, do I really need this? And try to get it out of your space. 
And so you're going to be trying to get an average or at least five things every day out of your space this week. Um, do the assignments of the syllabus, take responsibility for what you can control. So in that example with my countertops, Ray was perfectly willing to do a clean sweep of the counter and throw everything away. For me, that wasn't a possibility. So I took responsibility, cleared out the cabinet, and that in turn had a nice trickle effect. I was able to bring some stuff back to where it should be in the cabinets and the whole kitchen looks bigger because we don't have all the junk on the countertops. And also be hyper aware of the new items that enter your space during this 21 days. So what's next? Remember to watch the overview of the class if you haven't done that already. Review the pledge to purge and think about it every day. Be mindful about it and get cracking on that homework. You've got a call to schedule that's listed in the syllabus. I gave you a recommended phone number and some ideas of where you can go. You can also schedule something on the website. So check the syllabus and continue with your five things a day. Get it out of your space initiative. Um, start to enlist the help of your household members. Uh, get them on board. Make them aware of what you're doing. Make a game out of it. This is something that I mentioned in the overview for the class. Every time you check something off on the syllabus, um, that counts as a point. So see how many check marks you can get on that syllabus. And then maybe if you take the class again, back to back, you can try to beat your best number of check marks that you've gotten. You can earn more check marks by doing a bonus project that I'll list in the course module. Again, simple things, and it doesn't have to be something that's that I've listed. If you can find something like, hey, I want to clean off my counters, or I'm going to actually vacuum out my car, I'm going to clean the coat closet in the hallway, I'm going to sort the gloves and the mittens, whatever project that is needed in your environment, by all means, go for it and give yourself those bonus check marks. Make a game out of this. Measure it. What gets measured gets managed. And you want to manage your space. Get rid of your junk and manage your space. So thank you very much for taking the time to watch or listen to this Upcycling with Deb webinar. Review the syllabus. Do the homework that I've asked and you'll start to see a lighter space. You can contact me through thedebsite.com or on Twitter and Instagram at Deb Colometta. Be sure to subscribe to my Upcycling with Deb podcasts on iTunes or your podcast provider. And thank you very much for your time, which is your most valuable asset. And we'll see you next time on the next segment of Upcycling with Deb the Debinar. Trade your clutter for cash and we'll explore ways that you can sell your items and cash in on that clutter.